0: You've reached Hoop and Holler, a square one podcast on basketball and other shenanigans.
1: Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo Whoa. of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by you know, ESPN anytime soon
0: because <laughs> you don't have that clutch connection and Julio
2: Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap.
1: It comes from at underscore underscore uh, Klu 2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact I'm that really you knew good. there were two underscores before the... Club, it's at, at underscore underscore Kalu. He knows your Twitter. That, that means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Hoop and holler. You already know what it is, man. We're back and better than ever. I got a new mic in front of me. It's time to turn this shit up, man. Let's go ahead and talk some NBA playoff basketball. Um, before we get into that, though, forgive me. That was rude of me. We got to start the episode off the same way every time. How are y'all doing, man?
2: I, I think the last time we recorded, I was, you know, really, really giving up on the Lakers as every Laker fan should have. Um, and we, you know, just came in with the attitude that we just got to retool for next season and look forward. No point in looking back or, you know, wasting our time trying to get hurt or anything. So um, I'm, you know, optimistic going forward, but it does suck to to see, you know, my team not in the playoffs and having to root for teams that I, it's not that I don't really like them. It's just that I, I just don't really care about them. It's about hating on other teams. So that's my interest in the NBA playoffs right now.
1: Well, you are the resident hater here. Um, I, I, Real quick, I did not like the way that you did not. You 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 packed it up too early on the Lakers. You did. I appreciate, you know, looking forward, but you were like, eh, sit, Bron. Eh, we don't care. Eh, it's over with. It was like, yeah, at least got to go out there and compete, right? Like, it wasn't no point in just packing it up entirely. I appreciated the fight that the Lakers showed in the fourth quarter of that game is my point.
2: I didn't even watch it, so I wouldn't know. But hey, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow! What about what's going on in Eddie World?
0: Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet. I'm doing well, enjoying great slate of NBA basketball lately.
1: There you go, short, concise, to the point. Love to see it. So, speaking of great slate of NBA basketball, tonight was a great game, a great set of games that evidently I missed out on. What Eddie said before the. Uh, podcast the best game of the playoffs thus far i just moved into a new apartment so my tv's not all the way set up and i don't have like leak pass or whatever thing i'm going to get my nba games on so i missed the games so y'all got to tell me what what the hell happened i saw donovan mitchell drop 45 that's crazy but yeah yeah what what happened tonight yeah
2: yeah so uh, i had three things to say about this game number 1 um Okay, so the Jazz, just to paint a quick picture uh, for you, up until halftime, the Clippers were just firing on all cylinders, moving the ball good, making every shot virtually, and the Jazz, it was the opposite. It it was almost like, I I mean, I didn't even watch a lot of Jazz games this year, but I know that that must have been the worst half that they had all year long. They missed 21 shots in a row. Yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, it was due to Rust not having Mike Conley. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was a few things. But the thing that gave me confidence in is that the Clippers almost played like the best half of basketball that they did all year. The Jazz didn't. And yet they're still down 13. Now, 13 may seem a lot and a half, but not for a team like the Jazz that we know that can just. Pop off at any moment and just go berserk from three, so I really had a lot of confidence that the jazz were actually going to come back just because I know that the clippers have shown us that they've you know that they, they just let their guard down, and so um you, you know all these analysts like Charles Barkley, you, you can't put a lot of credence to what, what that man said he, he's just there for jokes, but he, he just essentially said like it's over almost, and it's like no, no the, the Utah jazz will come back. trust me. They will, and, and that they did it. They obviously won. Uh, the second thing, what got them back? Now, what got them back is obviously the threes, the defense, and the Clippers letting their guard down. But who sparked that? Donovan Mitchell. And that's where his, you know, the bulk of his 40-piece came from in the second half. But why? When players struggle, you don't you get keep to shooting, rim. you yes, know, sir. step back. Exactly. You get to the rim, and you that's get to the free right throw right line. You, uh, yes, and, and you, even Eddie says it a lot too. Like, like you have to get to the free throw line. It's, it's not only easy points, but when you attack, 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 and bring that attitude, you galvanize your team. You And that's, like, my issue with uh, um, not only Braun, because, you know, I, I don't want to single him out, but it's a bunch of players that – AD too. It's like they don't want to assert themselves when they're literally – you know, the gasoline that needs to start the fire. And it's like you almost don't realize it. You need to attack, attack, attack to go, right? Um, and without Mike Conley, to go back to the first half a little bit, you saw that they kind of struggled uh, um, with ball handling duties a little bit. And what Mike Conley does so well is that he plays the pick and roll very, very nicely. And he, he, gets, he gets the ball to his open shooters. And something that they were struggling with was in the pick and roll. And that's obviously you know one of Mike Conley's strong suits, and where they struggled specifically was Joe Ingles was running a lot of those pick and rolls, and I by the way I love Greg Anthony on the game. I think they they need to have him you know on way more games. I don't care if he's not a big name. I don't. I really don't give a damn. Bro is so smart, and, and when he's when he's talking, like I'm actually like that makes sense. And this is what he was talking about. Like Joe Ingles is not used to playing the pick and roll so much that he was giving it to. Uh, um, and a lot of guys who aren't point guards, you know, can can probably relate and, and struggle with this because they're not used to it. He was giving the ball to Rudy Gobert too soon, and, and Greg Anthony said that multiple, multiple times, and it's so true. You can't give the ball to a big man that doesn't, you know, handle the rock like ten feet away from the basket, eight feet away from the basket. You need to give it to him way closer. And how do you do that? You do that by playing John ja Morant, uh, um, you know, that CP three, Trey Young patience game holding a dude on your back and then making a decision you know making the defense react to you so all in all I, I thought it was a great game uh the Utah Jazz um really really you know impressed me tonight and at the beginning of the series uh I did say uh they were gonna win in seven so hopefully Man. that comes to fruition
1: round of applause that was some great a analysis right like that was that's I, I learned a little something. I'm not gonna lie. You, yeah, I know Greg Anthony had something to do with it, but you know ESPN. You know what to do. Hire this man. Hire all of us, please. Notice me, senpai. Um, no, I'm kidding. Eddie, what'd you see out there?
0: See, I don't know how to follow it up because Julio really covered a lot of the bases. Um, let's see where to start. I will say that number one, this was kind of a steal for Utah. I think not not so much that like. They shouldn't have won this game. Um, they didn't have Mike Conley, of course, so I kind of thought initially, you know, they'd be a little bit overmatched. But at the same time, I also know that the Clippers are coming off a seven-game series, you know, two straight elimination games flying into altitude on the road. Uh, the numbers are never in team's favor for that. So it was kind of interesting because you can tell that the Clippers came out with the, you know, foot on the foot on the pedal to start and they kind of, I think their legs got tired, you know, the shooters were missing shots front rim, like they just kind of uh, weren't um, chasing rebounds. So, all no, all, I think like Utah needed this game, because um, like, you don't want to get down early, especially at home. But at the same time, it's a game that they also feel like they had to, or kind of was lucky to win. Um But in terms of the specifics of the game, I definitely, you know, echo everything Julio said about Donovan Mitchell. The thing that really stood out to me, like, I almost, like, dare I say, it feels like his navigation of the pick-and-roll in this game and the ways he was dicing the Clippers' pick-and-roll coverage up felt a lot like how Steph Curry dices pick-and-rolls up. And I know, like, Mitchell is not the, the shooter that Steph is obviously, you know, off the dribble. But the way that he was, you know... Uh, splitting double teams and getting past, you know, the second defender, the help defenders, um, like refusing to use the screen and then like using that explosion to get to the rim. And then not only, you know, Steph Curry like exploding those screen coverages, but then also the guy that was at the game and they kept on panning the camera to Dwayne Wade, a lot of Dwayne Wade type moves, you know, once he was there attacking, um, it's kind of uncanny how like parallel their games are um, yeah, yeah. And, and their physical yeah. profiles. Um, And then on the defensive end, like, I get that Rudy Gobert helped the fort down. Like, obviously, Gobert will be good protecting the rim. I do want to give a shout out to Derek Favors because he was giving them really high energy minutes um, when Rudy was in foul trouble. And honestly, if you ask me, when the Clippers play small and, you know, they spread the floor out, I, I still think Rudy struggles to move his feet. And, you know, he struggles to kind of close out and recover. Um, and, and really guard in space, and a guy like Derek Favors, even though he was giving it, giving up a little bit at the rim, um, he was he, he's a little better at attaching to the perimeter players, um, especially when he needed to stunt and recover on guys like Paul George and Kawhi. Um, so I think he'll end up being a crucial player in this series. Um, I said in the group chat, I think at the beginning, Jazz in six, um, and I mainly said it because I think the Jazz have the sort of shot making that. Um, the Clippers don't have in that the clip the the Jazz can barrage you with three-pointers with perimeter playing. And I don't really, and I've said this over and over, I don't like how the Clippers don't get enough looks at the rim. They don't get enough uh, penetration to suck the defense in and kick out to shooters. Um, so that's kind of why I think the Jazz will end up winning the series. But if this game is, you know, a precursor for the series, then I'm, I'll be really excited because hey, I think it'll be hey, a lot of good games.
2: It's kind of funny, man. Like, I really lost all faith. Maybe not all faith. Yeah, I'll say all faith in the Jazz going into this year about being, you know, legitimate finals contenders because I had I had picked them as a serious dark horse the year prior and they kind of disappointed me. And it's like um, they're really meeting that ex- initial expectation that I had for this team and more. And so... They're really, really excelling. And, you know, even when Mike Conley comes back, you know, that that only adds more fuel to the fire. And um, in, in terms of the Clippers, man, I almost forgot to mention Paul George. It's like, I'm sorry. Like, like it, it's part of it's a joke. Yes, that people make fun of him, call him pandemic P, playoff P, you know, how ironic that is. But, bro, it's like you can <laughs> he's second best player on the team, man. You can't be showing up like that night after night, and I know that you know Kawhi. You know Kawhi's been doing well, but not as well as he should have. But man, Paul George is just a roller coaster with him, man. And the last thing I do want to say is that throughout these playoffs, something that something that I've been super super impressed by by uh, certain teams, not named the the Lakers or Clippers, when they get down, they still fight. They still really, really the Jazz tonight fought. Even though we'll get to the Hawks right uh, uh, a little bit later, um, the Hawks fought to get to try to get back into that game. And so I, I'm seeing all the a lot of these young teams, you know, not lose. Even the Memphis Grizzlies, Reagan, when they Thank were you. getting down, sometimes like they kept their They kept their cool. And it's not about you know hustling and fighting all the time. It's about keeping your cool whether it's pressure situations or you're down by 15 that's what i'm really really most impressed by because you know when the lakers get down by 15 it's like oh game over you know (laughs) when the clippers get down by 20 it's game over so that's something that that's really kind of fascinated me throughout these playoffs that the game's never over these young teams are
1: hungry man they they've been waiting on this moment to get out there and now that you know bronze out of there and looks like the clippers can be had like the, there's no reason to think that you know with the parody that exists in the nba right now that you can't go out there and on a given night best any one of these teams except for the brooklyn That's we'll get to that but uh, julio not you know ever gonna miss an opportunity to rag on paul george as he should <laughs> but um let's go ahead and move on you alluded to the hawk series let's talk about that they had their game two today 76ers won i didn't get to catch that one either unfortunately but from what i heard it was a lot of philadelphia kind of getting out ahead but you know like you mentioned the hawks fought back from some double digit deficits and almost got in there but philadelphia ultimately won the day uh, off a hell of a Joel Embiid game the concern for his knee it's still there for me because the torn meniscus is a torn meniscus but like i thought you might be getting a worse version of him but it doesn't seem like you're getting a worse version yeah of him.
2: Those were my exact same thoughts on Joel Embiid. He really, you know, and, he, and he, frankly, he should be eating on, on this Hawks team. Not that, you know, Clint Capella's trash or anything. He, he's a good defender down there, and he's not, you know, anyone that, you know, just a rando average Joe in the NBA can just, you know, drop a 40 piece on. But Joel Embiid really, really did well today. The thing that, oh, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention, which I already did, is that, you know, credit to the Hawks for they were down like 20 to 2 at the beginning of the game. And then all of a sudden it was like 46 to 40 at one point in the game. Obviously, it got away from them in the third quarter. But the Hawks, you know, they did what they needed to do. You know, they won a game in Philadelphia. That's literally all that they, you know, sought out to do. So that in itself, it's impressive. I'm gonna let uh, Eddie speak on uh, Kevin Herder, but um the thing the thing that I wanted to touch on in this game is uh, so here's the other disappointing team uh, from a year ago. Talking about the almost like my Jazz of the freaking East, the Philadelphia seventy six. I chose them to come out uh, of the East last year. Why? Because I I just thought their defense would be insane. Their offense would w- would be you know really amazing. Um, But the X factor has proven to be, and I think it's not even close, Tobias Harris. You see, I thought Tobias Harris at one point, maybe like two years ago, um, was like that dude. And not that he was like a superstar or even, you know, an all-star, but something, you know, barely below that where you could rely on him to really, really get 20, you know, 22 points per game if you needed him to, especially when they put that trust in you and giving you a contract and saying you know not that they didn't want Jimmy Butler but you know Jimmy Butler leaves you assume that that scoring wing role that you know that perimeter scoring role that you know the team looks for you late in games and to you know today he had an amazing game you just can't rely on him though that that's almost like another dude um, and again, we'll get to him. I, I get. I hate getting ahead of myself. But it's almost like Chris Middleton, and Chris Middleton is better get than him. It. Chris Middleton is better than him, but he's almost like a lesser Chris Middleton. Bro, like I can't. I can't rely on you, man. And it's like you'll have a great game against the Hawks, but when you go up against the Nets, you probably disappear, bro. You probably disappear. And it's like you're so much better than that. You're 6'10". You can score. You have wing tendency. You know, you can handle the ball a little bit. You can fade a little bit on turnaround jumpers. You can hit the mid-range. You can hit the three. But you almost seem irrelevant when it comes to big-time moments, right? And tonight he showed out, for sure. You know, good job. But it's, you know, not to trash on the Hogs, but it's against the Hogs. Show w- me when okay, it really counts. Hold up. At what Show point me when do you it really Put respect counts. on the
1: Hawks' name, because right now they're in the Eastern Conference semifinals, no, I, I, tied up.
2: No, no, for sure.
1: That that dismissive ass sure. sip of water and, that and, you just took. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, all right. <laughs> no but no no, 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 but I'm I'm really talking about in crucial moments, because he's really, really their X factor. He he really is. To be fair, like, is like he's going to
0: do what he he's made some big buckets this year. Like he had a game winner against the Lakers right in the regular season. Like I think. At least I think this season he's been the the second reliable scorer, like a true second scorer for them. You know when when Well, I, you better
2: be. You have to be. Who else is going to be the the mo, the second Seth most Curry. reliable scorer? Seth it's Not going to be Ben Simmons for Seth sure, Curry. not Danny Green. Yeah, I mean, shooters shooters go through their slumps um, and stuff. So. I
1: do want to ask though on the on this note of Ben Simmons. Eddie, I'm going to flip this to you cuz I'm looking at the box score. That's all I can do. I didn't watch the game. Come um, get on me Twitter if you want to. I didn't actually get to watch this game. But Ben Simmons, four points, three rebounds, seven assists. He only put up three shots, no two free throws. Would he just disappear?
0: Honestly, I think I think that's what you're just gonna get in this series. And like it's Ben Simmons. I don't know why we're still thinking he's gonna be a, a thirty point triple double LeBron James. I don't type expect dude. that from him, but I um, expect
1: like a 10, 10 and ten game from ben simmons on a nightly basis well here's the thing for me
0: though if you're the sixers you scored a 100 damn near 120 points so clearly like you can't be mad at the offense um tobias dropped his 22 seth curry made a bunch of threes like you were getting production from the guys that you want to score ben simmons is not a guy that i want you know jacking up shots and really forcing buckets like i want it to be aggressive but i also know what his game is and his game is not you know uh, uh, I mean, his game is just not putting up twenty shots a game and getting twenty five points. So, but again, on the defensive end, I think he was matched up on Trey Young a little bit more, and at least uh, they made life difficult as a team because I know guarding Trey Young is never really a one on one experience. Um, but they they made it more difficult for Trey Young, and that was really the difference in the game, I think. So, mm. for me, I'm just curious whether these adjustments will hold up, you know, throughout the series. Because if they do and Trey Young has trouble uh you know producing then it's obviously going to be wraps for the Hawks but you know part of me feels like Trey Young is too good of a player and and he's capable of making the adjustments and with Atlanta's you know depth um offensively they have they have the capability to hang in the series I think at least six games and before the series started I think Philly had the series in six um though I didn't think Embiid would even play these first two games um But I think, like, right now, that's probably where I'm at as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta pushes this to, like, a really close seven-game series either. Um, And I think Julio wanted me to bring up Kevin Herter, who I was tweeting about earlier, because he's been maybe, like, the Hawks' second most consistent player in the playoffs so far. For sure. like he's a guy that I really liked, you know, his first year and and even, like, his second year. And then I know they put him on the bench this year because they had – Bogdanovich and they had Cam Reddish at a point and they just have a lot of players at that position but it feels like to me in this playoffs that Kevin Herter has shown that he should be kind of part of the building block of this Hawks young core Mm -hmm. because like we all know like he's a good shooter but he's shown like some really good ability with the ball in his hands driving right and left passing the ball a little bit and like he has good size and, and he can slide his feet a little better than you know what his what his kind of physical profile would seem to tell
1: us he would be he um, he gives me, like, like doled down, slightly doled down Malcolm Brogdon. Like, he's not as good as Malcolm Brogdon, but he plays a very similar style where it's like, you can put me on and off, I can defend, I can shoot, I can pass well. I do a lot of the things that you need somebody that's going to play off a really good guard to do. Which, you know, if he's going to be playing next to Trey Young, that's the type of dude that you want.
2: Bro, I, I wouldn't say kind of. I would say for sure. I, I think he's the second most... Uh I don't want to say mm, yeah, yeah, building block that uh, like that obviously everybody's tradable probably except anyone except Trey Young, but he's probably the second most untradable dude on that team for me, for me. Yeah.
0: I would just say like the Hawks probably won't win this series, but what they've shown me since they got Nate Mc, uh, Nate McMillan, what they've shown me this playoffs, I do think like they have a super bright future just when you talk about Trey Young. And you know, Herder, DeAndre Hunter, assuming his knee problems aren't going to be persistent, Clint Capella has been really solid. Um, and then, like you know, you still have like Cam Reddish. I, I, the jury's still out on him, I think. Um, I know Reagan, you've been saying this all along. I, I'm a Cam Reddish fan. I think like they're 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 really well, not just Reddish, but the whole Hawks team. But I think they're just beginning to put it together, and and the sky's the limit for them going forward. But I mean, the series
2: for, for sure, but for for sure they they've been super impressive better than what I thought they were but you cannot think that in you know this year that you get to semis next year you're going to get maybe semis again next year you're going to go you know advance to the conference finals and then next you know within the next two years uh you're going to get to the finals after that with this iteration of the Hawks team you have to be forward thinking use the pieces that you have because you have a lot of them, and you have a lot of pieces. Even the the quote unquote old pieces, like a Danilo Gallinari, who other teams would find attractive, you know, teams that uh, are uh, title contenders. So you have to leverage those pieces to get another star next to Trey Young, and and that that's going to be the next step in the next three, you know, three yeah three ish years, three four years for the Hawks to to because that's where you actually you know, ascend to title contention. You know, usually
1: I'm inclined to disagree with you, Julio. Like, you know, with Memphis, you know, I'm like a little bit attached to the dudes and i I like to see what young cores can do as they build. But honestly, in this case, as I'm looking at it, like Trey Young is ready to roll. He's ready to go right now. Like with a guy like John Morant, John Morant can play. Don't get me wrong. But John Morant still has some elevating to do to his game before he's really ready to be that guy to go win a chip. If you ask me, Trey Young, you put the right pieces around him. He can be the best player on a championship team right the hell now. Right now. And I can say that wholeheartedly. If you go trade a guy like John Collins, like you mentioned, Daniil Gallinari, possibly Cam Reddish, like I'm ready to send folks out if I can go get a, a since we love talking about it on this podcast, Bradley Beal or a Zach Levine or a Jalen Brown or whoever the hell is available. The Hawks got to pull the trigger on that because that this team, as a fifth seed, already out there going, winning in game one, hanging in there with Philly, they're ready to roll, man. So they need to make sure that they they seize this opportunity right now because they got ballers, they got ballers for sure. Yep, Jalen Brown might be in those. But we're saving Jalen Brown from Memphis. Mm. Memphis. I That'd feel like this nice. podcast is the only podcast that acknowledges Jalen Brown is like probably going to get traded in the near future. I don't know. If, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if it's, like, a reality. I think it
0: is. We, we could just be speaking it into I mean, existence. Like, I think it should be if you're Boston or whoever. Or I guess Brad Stevens is their GM right. now, right? So if you're Brad
1: Stevens, you have to think about And who, about who it. knows better than Brad Stevens of the overlapping talents of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the dude who's been coaching? Like, I digress, but, like, that feels inevitable in my mind. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on to this other series. We'll finish with how about we finish with the Nets and the Bucks since that was pretty interesting to talk about and start with the Nuggets and the fuck who did the Nuggets play? Golly, Reagan. Suns. Suns. Yeah, that's right. Suns. And the Suns busted that ass. Yeah. They busted that ass up and down the floor. Forty-eight minutes. Devin Booker.
2: Well, no, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't okay, that's, right, right that's, okay, that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going right. to say. Yeah, yeah to
1: because
2: it was it was a close ass game. It was a close-ass game until the Suns just, it it, it was like one of, I I forgot which Laker game it was, but it was like one of those games where it was close, and then the Suns just started going insane. It's the crowd, it's whenever Jay Crowder hits a three, it's like they see. God and Jesus Christ. Campaign, you know, he does his annoying ass talking. Chris Paul's arm is all good now. Devin Booker, you know, he didn't he, he mention. Didn't even play that. Arguably great the play. most important play to this game. And and Bridges. And Bridges. Aiden. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, but I mean, he th- that was like, you know, the spirit of God entered his body What's with the and he other, couldn't miss. Like, he just is, couldn't this miss. This
1: is not a religious podcast, by the way. We try to keep it ag- agnostic but, here. Is that the right word? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But what impressed me was the the Nuggets. They really did impress me. For anyone that wants to call this a blowout, that, you know, they just totally got blown out of the water. I mean, my boy Compazo was doing his work at, at times in the game. Jokic was doing Jokic, but Jokic has to be more aggressive, a li- just a little bit more aggressive. Obviously, you know, he can't handle the ball at the. Uh, perimeter too much he can obviously run an offense he's their centerpiece of that offense but he can't really attack like a wing or a guard would do but he does have to command the ball a little bit more and be a little bit more aggressive but as long as you know Michael Porter Jr. Uh, is doing what he did in that game I think they're going to be fine because I, I Aaron Gordon did not play a great game I think he's going to you know, obviously improve. Composo is going to Composo, And if they can get Will Barton back and Jokic just does Jokic, the Suns aren't going to be that hot every single game. And so I I think, you know, I'm hoping for a closer series. Obviously, you know, the talent weighs heavily in favor of the Suns. But, you know, I I just wouldn't be shocked if this was a much closer series than people expect after that first game.
0: So the thing about you saying A closer series than people expect is that in my mind before the series I was kind of going in between Suns and 6 or Denver and 7 and really thinking about it it's kind of crazy that I'm even debating it because when you look at the talent that's on the Nuggets team right now and you know they're starting Fasundo Compasso and Austin Rivers in the backcourt it shouldn't even be a competition honestly which goes to show Mm -mm. you how great Jokic has been coached. this season. And, oh, and and how and how well coached they are. And and that's the part I want to get to because these are two of the best, maybe the best coaches in the game right now, I think. Uh Monty Williams runs some beautiful like basketball sets and, and devises like great game plans. And Mike Malone is one of the or Michael, since he wants to be called Michael, um, devises like some of the best um adjustments, I think, throughout his series. And and we've seen that, you know, we saw it in the first round, we've seen that throughout these Nuggets teams in the playoffs, which is why even though, like Julio mentioned, they got beat by 17 points, I'm not like really concerned with this game one because I feel like Denver will make the right adjustments. He'll put um, Jokic in better spots to score, I think. And the whole, uh, I know the announcers were talking about like Aiton and Jokic both had like 20 and eight. It was a wash. Like I don't, I don't really That's like not comparing it like that all. because. Because, because we know Jokic can be better, is the thing. And I don't think Aiton was, like, clamping him up or anything. It was just like Jokic wasn't making some shots. He wasn't forcing the action on some, you know, possessions. So it's not like, like, I know Aiton has good numbers against Jokic, but I don't think it's one of those things where if Jokic really, you know, put, puts his head down and makes those, like, weird fadeaways and, you know, goes hot and, and everything, um, I think Jokic will end up, you know, making a bigger impact perhaps the biggest thing I think is that he didn't really get assists because the Suns were making sure he wasn't a playmaker and that he didn't get free throws. The Suns might game plan the first part, but I do think he'll end up getting to the line more often just, you know, due to the the ref whistle. It'll like change from game to game. I think he'll be a little bit more aggressive. Um, So I think this will be a series though, because I I believe that Denver has the ability to make the right adjustments and Phoenix is like, they're not so overpowering offensively because like. I mean, to me, outside of Devin Booker, like Chris Paul, like gets going for like a quarter. They don't have like a ton of reliable offensive talent. So it's a series where Denver can, I think, keep their, like, keep themselves in it just because Jokic is like so good and, and the team is like plays so hard.
1: Nikola Jokic, your NBA MVP, by the way. Congrats to him and well deserved. Um, two things for me. I, a, I can't help but like watch the series and think like, Damn, if Jamal Murray was healthy, because if Jamal Murray's was healthy, you might be talking about the Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals this year. Because obviously, as good as campazo has been, right? Jamal Murray's a different caliber of player. Um, but we gotta wait till next year. Thing two, on the note of the NBA Finals, I feel like if there's a team, and we'll get to the Bucks series and how much of a run they can give the Nets, but if there's a team left in the playoffs right now that can really give the bucks a run for their money. I'm taking the nuts. The the nuts. The fucking the Suns. The <laughs> Suns. You see how I took like Nets and just threw the Suns you You're talking
0: you're talking about the So you're saying if they they can give a Nets a run the, for their money. I think the
1: Suns are possibly the only team left in the NBA playoffs based on how the Bucks have been performing that can give the the Nets a run for their money. And the reason is watching them go off the way they went off against the Nuggets. Obviously, that's not going to happen on a night-to-night basis. But I don't think that there's any other team, with the exception of maybe the Clippers, but the Clippers, I'm just out on them. Um, that can go on those sorts of runs that are created not only by like great fundamental offense. Mm. Let me finish. Those sorts of runs, but are that are just generated by unstoppable shots, and they they're the only team left in the in the in the playoffs. That I feel like can match the Nets shot for shot on a given game, no matter how you guard them, no matter how you, how you defend them, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, they can get those buckets however they want. And right, there's guys like Jokic that are still there, but the Denver Nuggets as a team can't really do that. I got two guys over there, and then with the Jay Crowder and Miles Bridges ability to hit up from three, they can start tearing you apart. And there's really like almost an inevitability to it, to the fact that you can't even stop them when they really get going. I don't think there's another team in the playoffs like that right now. So I, I was going to say there's two teams that
2: I can't really put one in front of the other. And that's them, obviously, and the Jazz. Because the Jazz have that effect, too, where, man, if they get going from three... It's night-night, it's night, bro. I guess that's it, the difference. because really of what, cause like
1: the Jazz can just pour it down on you. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the way in which the two teams are capable of pouring it down on you. The Jazz, they'll create offense through pick and rolls, through sets and whatnot, and rain it from you from three. But there are ways, as a, as a coach, if you're D'Antoni, if you're Steve Nash, that you can try to scheme that and make sure that you mitigate those sorts of runs. What you can't mitigate is a Devin mm-hmm. Booker step-back fadeaway. You can't do anything about that. And he can do that on a night-to-night basis. What you can't mitigate is a Chris Paul mid-range. He's arguably the best of all time from there. So that's what I'm talking about when I say, like, unstoppable buckets. Like, there's nothing that you can do about when the Suns start going off the way they went off against the Nuggets. That's why they, to me, feel like they could be the biggest threat to the Nets just because if they're, the Nets are just so indefensible when you watch them play. And the Suns have, are the only team left that have that hint of indefensibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, uh, the last
2: it, thing I want to say, I'll, oh, I was ahead. just say,
0: maybe it's just me, or maybe it was just because the Suns played the Lakers, who were a good defensive team. But I don't like. I don't think they're really. They don't overwhelm me on either end of the floor. Really, they're just like really solid. So, like I know they went on like a very good run against the uh, uh the Nuggets in Game One, but maybe it's just you know kind of like a product of watching the game. But nothing they really ever do feels like it's overpowering anybody it feels like they just kind of outdo teams with fundamentals like good team play you know uh, uh just very solid execution and the occasional dash of like crazy shot making by Devin Booker but I don't know it could just be me um the last thing that I wanted to say about the head
2: coaches I, I think where I want to give them props is on the one hand, you got Michael Malone. Yes, Michael Malone. Um, I don't know if you guys saw. He got mad at like some reporter who said Mike Malone. He said Michael. Imagine and being like, like I'm the so one sorry. reporter
1: to get called. Like, how long have we been called Mike Malone? Like years. <laughs> like yeah. that's like the one time he's like, yeah. no, how dare you?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, he, at least from my perspective has been a coach in his past the last few years who's been a little bit stringent or at maybe it's just when i see his face he just looks very upset and like he wants to yell at his players all the time and something that i i've seen in the in the huddles when they bring you know the mics in and the cameras in he's very calm cool collected and he gives his guys more leeway and i think that's very very important when it comes to a young team especially when you got guys like MPJ and Aaron Gordon and, uh, you know, even Jokic. It's important to, you know, not get on guys so much and and coach guys differently. And on Monty Williams' side of things, he's shown me that uh, uh, he's not overly player friendly. Not only does he have, you know, Chris Paul there to get on guys, but they also brought cameras and mics into the huddle. And, you know, he said one thing that, hey, last time out we said we were going to do it, y'all not doing it and the team like was like oh okay y- you know and th- that's something that kind of impressed me because they come from at least in my view opposite end of the spectrum but they're not you know one's not afraid to coach his guys and the other one's not afraid to you know give his guys leeway so credit credit to the coaches really
1: no doubt it, it feels there which, what was the series last year was it Toronto versus Boston or was it a very interesting chess match between the two coaches I have that right, right? That was, like a really, that was the series. I, I went, think so, yeah. It was a six, yeah, one to Game seven. That was a really interesting chess match between Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens, who's now GM. Um, but this, this series gives a little <laughs> bit of that, right? Where it's going to be an interesting chess match between two guys who have really good basketball minds and teams that are capable of executing their vision, right? So it's going to be interesting. But that's not the most interesting of the series in my point of view i thought was going to be the most interesting series was the bucks versus the nets but then i forgot the nets are an s tier team like i've been saying all year long they're out there busting that ass it's really not like can can we just can we can we pack it up
2: can can we admit this can we admit this kd is the best player in the world can we admit this Kd's the best player. He's definitely
1: better than ninth. Wait.
0: I'll say he's definitely better Remember than ninth or whatever said I said. I'm surprised you even brought that when, up.
1: That's that takes some bro- bravery of you to bring that up that because bro- I've forgotten about that. But you called that man the I ninth. Mean, it, it doesn't best player. Okay. the okay. I mean it doesn't. Like, I was I was wrong. I, I
0: didn't I didn't see this coming. I just I mean what just just to answer you I don't. I can't put him as the best player of all time right now because, in the, in the world. one, I think it's... Of Steph- all time? Or not, sorry, not, yo, not, not all time. Eddie's <laughs> like, wild best, in the night, Best yo. player. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> no, I mean, best player right now because, one, I think it's Steph Curry from what he showed me this season, and two, I just, I need hey. to see what he looks like when he gets a little bit of resistance, and, I mean, I'll let you finish your point, but that's my whole thing with Milwaukee. Like, you gotta show me some resistance, just a little bit.
2: So... Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I just got a few things to say. Firstly, on KD, the reason why I say he's the best player in the world, um, it okay. So, you know, you want you guys want to know what 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 is flagrant and, and just flat out wrong. You know, me call me calling Kawhi. You know, going going into, not this season but the year before, I you know COVID just messes me up. Yeah, like going into the year before this year you know, I, I put Kawhi up there as number one. That that was that was flagrant. Now I said that with the contingency that obviously K D is not here. If not, he would be number one. Now going into this year, I had to see how he looked, but I still put him at number two. If Bro is fully healthy, he is number one. When he okay, when he when he's upset and he wants to be aggressive, there is just there is no answer. There is no competition like like there is no comparison to this man. Like he's just other, and I know Steph is too, and he is my MVP. But KD, when he is aggressive, now that's important to say because he's very efficient. He doesn't really hunt his shots that often like like other players, like a Kobe or a Mike would. But when he really wants to, uh, again, it's good night for the other team. And when it comes to the Bucks, Giannis again, again, is in his own head. And one thing that I've noticed about Giannis, and I don't know if it's because he's an international player. I don't know if it's because he's shown to be like a nice dude. Like he he seems like a very, very one of the most genuine dudes off the court. But a lot of players feel like they can just trash him on social media. You think any other, you know, when Kobe was playing, when Mike was was playing, even Braun bro like ex nba like, like jr smith and i know he's not that big but like guy even guys in the media you think people are doing that to mj and kobe I think Jay and j williams was saying something mess to him today you think yeah that too but you think blake griffin would talk mess to to like you know a real real and giannis is a real superstar but he i don't know it's just something about him where he gets his, in his own head People like almost disrespect him, how they approach him and talk about his game. You know, James Harden saying, I wish I was seven foot and, and, you know, unskilled and can do all the things that, you know, Giannis uh, uh, can do. Um, And it just feels like players are freely disrespecting him. And how do you answer that? You answer that by killing dudes in the paint. You answer that by monster dunks. You answer But all that I'm getting from Giannis is like, not fear, but just almost nervousness. And it's the same crap, same, same crap that I've seen last year, the year before and the year before that. I'm not going to get fooled. I'm not going to get fooled. And, team, and and people in the media can say, be, you know, oh, the Nets, there's no way that they're going to have chance against the Bucs. The Bucs are really coming serious this year. It's not going to happen, man. It's not going to happen. And even when they got Drew Holiday, I said, even that, that puts them up there really, really close. But it, even then, it won't be enough. Now, when they got bogged on, or they were supposed to get bogged on before they, they messed it up, I thought that would would have, you know, perhaps put them over the top. But it's just, you know, it all starts and it, it it all starts and begins with the star player, and and that's Giannis. He has to come with that ferocity and just bringing it against the other team. And when you don't do that, you get perform lackluster performances like you like you did from Chris Middleton, bro. bro got like his first points in the game in the third quarter, like that. That's just atrocious. And I know they're missing, um, uh, what what's his name? Dante. Uh, Dante Divincenzo, but it it's. You you guys are a much better team than that, but it's like you guys always fold when you guys come to the to the playoffs, and it's so disappointing because we all know that they can be so much better. Um, but Katie just saucing them up right now, and Kyrie didn't even play that well in the in the second game. And something that you know Eddie's been saying for a while: the last thing you want to do is get the role players going. Now you get Joe Harris, you get you get Landry Shamit going, you get Blake Griffin going.
0: Oh, stop you're done you're done so on that point that i mean that's perhaps the part that's most disappointing for me about milwaukee i know everyone's talking about Giannis, but if we're being honest like he's shown us who he is the last two seasons right like there's clear limitations in what his game is so like i'm not gonna come into this postseason and um, even though I took the Bucks in seven, it's not like I thought Giannis was going to become some sort of prolific scoring machine. Like, he's never been that sort of player. It's just in my mind, I thought Coach Budenholzer and Milwaukee would have realized that and, you know, put Boom. them in better positions to succeed. So it's Boom. not just about, you know, Giannis, but it's just about the entire game plan, about the matchups, about like what I... your what your philosophy is going into the series. Because... In game one, it was clear that their philosophy was let's attack the paint, let's use our size against them. But the problem with this, with that is like you don't have a lot of players <clears throat> that are good at penetration. You just have a lot of players that are big. And after a certain while, what? the math problem will end up catching up to you. If you want to, you know, clog the paint with two dudes with Giannis and Brook there, you can give up twos, but now you're going to give up threes to uh, Katie and Kyrie. And and you know, I'm not even talking about how they were you know, they they'd had no game plan that they sometimes they helped, sometimes they didn't, when they helped, it was weak, Uh, you know, and and giving up threes, corner threes to Joe Harris, you know, which you never want to do. So basically, the game plan in game one was, was already flawed, because they were basically trading twos for threes. And by the time game two rolled around, it felt like they had nothing in mind. And that to me is just really disappointing, because I don't think like, I know the Nets are really good, like even without Harden, like, Katie is the, the looks like the greatest scorer the NBA has ever seen right now. You know, Kyrie is obviously Kyrie. But it's not like they're truly unstoppable. I like I know they look like they're unstoppable right now. But to me, that is because Milwaukee has completely fallen short of what they're supposed to do. Because if you ask me, Milwaukee has the defenders to guard Kyrie. They have the defenders to guard KD. And now that Harden's out of the equation, it makes it easier for Milwaukee to hone in on those two. And I've said, you know, I said on the last podcast, you just have to let them live with tough one-to-one baskets. Like, you have to make it hard for them, right? You have to really make it difficult for KD and Kyrie. But you can't let Blake Griffin get going. You can't let Joe Harris and uh, uh, who else? Mike James get going, you know. But you know there's just no coherent game plan for them and katie sees no resistance Kyrie sees no resistance they're winning by you know 20 and 30 because they feel like they can play free and the first thing milwaukee needs to do in game three on their home court is to make life hard for brooklyn you know and, and whether that's with the game plan whether that's with effort energy you know like something you just have to make brooklyn feel your presence and they haven't felt it in the first two games
2: The last thing I did want to say that you touched on very briefly, I didn't even mention the biggest culprit. And, yeah, I trashed on Giannis, but it's coach. It's coach. It's coach Bud, man. And I I said it last year. His ass should not be there right now. His ass should be gone. He should not be the head coach of of that team. On the offensive end, and and I know, you know, we've been talking uh, at lengths about their defense, but on the offensive end, it looks horrible, it looks very, very badly. I'm like, why is Brooke Lopez getting like back to back to back post ups where he does a shimmy fadeaway like he's a Kima Why is he, you know, getting a dribble out on the perimeter and then you know shooting a three? And then I you know, Chris Middleton is fine, like he's a really, really good player. That's that's what he is to me. He's a really, really good player but he's not to the echelon of dude where you can just be like all right like go save us like come on we, we need something going and, and we need like 30 from you in, in this half like he's just not reliable enough consistently he can do it from time to time but when you get matched up with with real superstars like KD not that you look like an average joe but uh, it's it's not the same it's not well, the I mean, here's
0: the, here's the thing with it's Chris, not- though, because he's played bad. Like, I'm not going to, like, defend him or anything, even though I like him a lot. It's that part of it is also Milwaukee, for some reason, were trying to play, like, at a breakneck pace in game one. And I think they were still trying to do that in game two. And Chris Middleton doesn't play at that sort of pace. He's not, you know, a quick shooter. Like, it takes him – if like, he needs to get in a sort of rhythm and in his right spots, right, to get comfortable. Then – You start letting them build off of there and honestly like none of these milwaukee players thrive in you know this sort of fast-paced half court game like i they're they're good at transition but for some reason they're you know taking the first or second shot they see in half court and a lot of times they're contested shots so i mean it doesn't make sense to me and and part of you know chris going like seven for 20 or or whatever his numbers are is that like you have to put him in positions to succeed and You know they're well. I mean they're not because Coach Bud's just throwing whatever out there right now on the whiteboard. Um, But I mean again that that's another thing too. Like Drew, Chris, Giannis, uh, like you just they have to do better in allowing them to be comfortable. Uh uh, yeah go go ahead Reagan I was I mean
1: let's not forget right like game one it's not like it was completely blown out of the water like it's easy to look at game two and say like okay they're they don't have a prayer but game one. And I know the final score doesn't tell the entire story, but it wasn't like it was completely out of question that they were in that game at one point. They lost 115-107. But looking at some of these percentages, man, 6 of 30 from 3. 6 of 30 from 3. That's a recipe to get your ass busted.
0: And you know what that is, 58% right? from free it's... throw?
1: That's a recipe to get your ass busted. That's, that's a lot of it's Giannis, Giannis. right? But like, that, I, even
2: oh, it angers me. I mean, when NBA in this particular like, game, bro. right?
1: Giannis went 0 of three, but Drew went one for three. Chris went one for two. PJ went two for two. Brooke Lopez, like, that might be something that's a little bit different, but somewhat of an underlying issue for this Bucks team is that the only person who can really get to the line and get guaranteed points is Giannis, and he once he gets to the line, he's like a wash. Like he'll go one of two. Um, but then in the second game, like, turning the ball over, not hitting open shots, not getting open shots, like, mm-hmm. it's just not good basketball. And we could talk all day about why the, the Bucks aren't doing what they need to do. But if you ask me, this is just more than anything an a testament to how good this Brooklyn Nets team is and how overwhelming it is and how much of a, a like, we talk about how it's a very good skill set to be able to calm down and be easy. You can't really do that when it's fucking Kyrie Irving and KD busting your ass. Like it's hard to it's hard well, to see, cool off and, and really trust <laughs> what what you have going on when the only reason the only reason why
0: I have to disagree right now is that if Kyrie and KD are showing me that they're cooking when they're facing a bottleneck when they're facing pressure from Milwaukee and it's just clearly Milwaukee has no answer for that sort of shot making then. You know, it's clearly, okay, Brooklyn's just too good. They have too much firepower. But I can't say that when Milwaukee is offering zero solutions right now. Like, they're, they're just not offering anything for Kyrie and KD. It's like they're playing in the park. You know, like, it's too easy for I mean, them. He, here, here's so the like, thing. I, it's,
1: it's the old adage of everybody got a plan. It's not like Budenholzer just sat back in his desk. He was like, fuck it, we'll just go out there and hoop. Like, they had a plan. And then you get on the court. And you get your ass punched in the mouth, right? Every boxer has a strategy till they get busted in their mouth the first time, and then everything goes out the window. Same principle. And right now, the boxer that the Bucks are facing is Muhammad fucking Ali, and he's throwing jabs and haymakers and busting their ass, and it's hard to stick to what they had going. And to like, you can't even really tell what it was that they had going, if anything. And that sort of discipline, yeah, a lot of it has to do with coaching. Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the players. But it also has to do with a level of overwhelming talent that you're just facing. Like this Brooklyn team is just too fucking good. It's they're too good.
2: And 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 the funny thing about the Nets is that you think about it, nope. they don't have James Harden, and so okay, but who did they trade James Harden for? They traded away Dinwiddie. Jared Allen and Kyrie no, Irving, yeah. Dinwiddie's and out. Dinwiddie's out, and Din, Dinwiddie's out. So if you, it's almost like the Brooklyn Nets. At the start of the season, without James Harden, but then let's just act like Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, and oh. Karis LeVert got hurt, and they added Blake Griffin like that. I mean, that's how good, that's how great, amazing KD and Kyrie to a lesser extent, I mean, but especially KD. And it's really not even like, like all, all
1: power to them, right? They're they're playing well, but like the revival of Blake Griffin, my god, like the dude's playing his ass off. Joe Harris is doing Joe Harris shit. Like he's, Nick Claxton's playing. He he's Blake mad Griffin. annoying
2: though. He's so annoying. I can see he's he so would be annoying. annoying. You don't do that talking when you suck, bro. When when your team was ass. He now that you you feel empowered. You have the best player on your team. You you have Kyrie. You have James. You feel so empowered, bro. Get get out of my face, though. He's stepping over dudes like unnecessarily. That's unnecessary. So Stop.
1: Add, add Blake Griffin She's to the so list of NBA players that Julio is not a fan of. But regardless of how he's expressing how he feels about his elevated play, what can't be denied is that it is elevated play. He's hitting his threes. He's you know dominating that fucking dunker spot. And it's just like there's there's just too. I said it when the, they made the trade and they put Kyrie and KD together. There's just too much overwhelming talent. Too much for you to keep track of that you know, basketball is a difficult sport as it is, and keeping track of what you're doing with your own individual body movements is hard. Trying to keep track of all that while facing that much talent, you just can't do it. You just can't do it without an equal or greater level of talent. See, the, the, the last, last thing point, that I wanted to touch on... Go, go,
0: ahead. Why, go ahead. My okay. last point is why I'm so disappointed. I, I don't even know if I brought this up on the last pod, but I, I had the feeling that Milwaukee would kind of play like the Harden Rockets teams against the stacked super team in the Nets, you know, a la the Warriors. And that I thought because the Butts had PJ Tucker, but, you know, they also had a holiday, some toughness, and that they would execute a sort of game plan that not only would be successful in terms of like, you know, on paper, but also in terms of like a mentality. And that the Rockets teams all those years, I think did really well and almost, you know, overcame the Warriors by not only beating them on paper but also by winning the mental battle and Milwaukee's not doing both and th- I think I think that that's just what's really disappointing to me because what I had envisioned in this series with the Bucks winning was that they would be able to execute a really disciplined game plan and
1: that that's just not because it's happening. too convoluted it's too I just, it, like it yeah. for the Rockets since that's the but, metaphor but here's
0: the thing though when When the Rockets were facing Steph and Clay and K D it wasn't too complicated. It wasn't because right, like they found a way to make it my point is when
1: you're when you're the Rockets at that point in time, right? Offensively, it's yo, if you're not James Harden, spot up, right, or set a screen. And then James Harden got it on offense. On defense, play your fucking ass off. Make sure Steph feels you. Make sure, you know, you get in K D shit and we'll call it a day, right? It's not that difficult. Or not It's not that difficult because it's easier said than done, but it was a simple game plan, right? It wasn't that much to keep track of. Whereas the Bucks, they seem to have a little bit too much going on. It's not as simple as let them fill you on defense, on offense, Giannis handle it. You can't do that. So especially offensively, they just don't have – they don't have a reliable source of offense. We talk about like heliocentrism I, and how that like has disadvantages, but you also have a lot of advantages in that. We know that Steph or Luka Doncic or Donovan Mitchell or whoever the hell is going to be handling the offense, they got it. They got it. We're good, but the Bucs don't have that.
2: And that's one of the main things. So their source... Almost like what we all call Jokic, like like this very centerpiece of the Nuggets offense. The very centerpiece of the Bucks' offense, maybe not this year, but going back, you know, last year and the years prior, it was Giannis. It was drives and kicks, and it was, that was literally their whole game plan. Now, this year, they've changed that up, but when you give that up, and we did, like I called it out last year, and like we all realized... That's way too predictable, and it's way too you know reliant on one strategy. That if you kill that strategy off, that's literally what team meetings are all about. You take away their best option, and what the hell are they gonna do next? That that's literally it's like, that's like team meeting one on one. But when you go to the alternative, you better make sure it. As you know, hell, that alternative of turning over that those scoring responsibilities over from Giannis to that alternative, which is now Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, you better make sure that alternative is great. And like, okay, I love Drew Holiday. I love how he plays. I think he is an underrated scorer because a lot of people just mark him as this great defender, and he can't score off the dribble, but he's not enough he's not enough and, and he's not a dude. he can run your offense but you know uh, ideally you don't really want him at that point guard position you want him at the 2 really just taking on that toughest defensive assignment and yeah still getting some buckets on the offensive end but your real focus is defense and this is they the bucks need three things they need a Mike new D coach they need <laughs> They need um, uh, um, a tough, what I don't know if it was Reagan or Eddie alluding to this, but a tough mentality, that leadership. Because as we learned with the Clippers, you know, you can't always look to your best player. Your best player is not always going to establish that that culture, that leadership, that chemistry within the locker room that you need. And that's why I think, you know, the perfect match, and I mentioned it, I forgot when I mentioned it. Uh, but I I just always thought that Giannis and Dame are that real, real perfect match because Dame, and we're going to get this, you know, to this later in the off season, but Dame brings that reliable scoring option. Like Reagan talked about Dame brings that tough mentality. And when I say Dame, I don't really mean Dame Dame, but I mean, you know, a player of that magnitude and of that, you know, toughness and leadership and, and uh, it's important that he's a point guard because, like Eddie, Eddie always talks about you, you know to him, you know to you that that's the most important position, and I feel like that's where they really, really lack that that strong guard play because Drew Holiday is great. Don't get me wrong, but he's just he's not enough. He's not enough for what Giannis and that team needs. So they they need that. That's going to be their next step to you know obviously take that next step that echelon of player to add next to Giannis because that's where they're really missing the relying scoring option, tough leadership mentality and chemistry and all that. I'm, and a coaching change. That's what, that's what they're going to need because if not, they, they're just not going to, you know, be question, serious. Question for they're you. Gonna, Does this serious.
1: player have to be somebody who can create for himself and others, or do they just have to be a bucket in a reliable scoring option? I'd say
2: just for himself, exactly.
1: honestly, Anyone? Any takers? No? All right.
2: See, see I would say yes, because I love wings. But I think in this case, I-, I think they're strong enough at the wing position where their real lack is is that guard play. And I, I love Zach Levine. But I, I think with uh, old-ass PJ Tucker, Chris Middleton, uh, Dante DiVincenzo, and the dude with the Mohawk who was in the dunk contest, I, I think that- that's-, that's enough. But... The the guard plays where they
0: really lack. That's where they really Interesting. lack.
1: Interesting indeed.
0: And just I mean, for what it's worth, I still wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks like came back and made it a series. You know, took it to six, seven games. Um, that I mean, that that's just how much faith I still have not in the team, but in what I think in my mind, like how it should have played out. But obviously, my prediction took a hit.
1: If anything. I could see it playing out almost like the finals did last year where it went six but we all knew what the result was going to be. But honestly at this point, I unless the Bucks come out with something at home that they haven't come out before whether that's a different game plan or increased energy or more focus, they might not get five. They might not get to five. Like it, it it's looking bad. It's looking bad. But that's neither here nor there. Time can only tell. They have another game tomorrow, right? The Bucks play the Nets. So We'll honestly get to see because if the Nets, Thursday. Thursday. Is there Thursday. any game tomorrow? Thursday.
0: Yeah, I think Nuggets play tomorrow. Yeah, Nuggets. Yeah, oh, Nuggets. Nuggets Suns. That'll be interesting,
1: but time can only tell. Any any parting shots? Any parting words?
2: I really hope the. I just hope the Suns lose. Why? I really them and them and the Clippers. You hate him, them off old shit though. Really,
1: like, I like that team. Yeah. What, the Suns? They're cool. I like the players.
2: Bro, see... Look, look, look. Here's my thing on the Suns really quickly before we wrap it up. I want to... Okay. I love Devin Booker's game. I love how he plays. I love that he loves Kobe. That That's what I love most about him. I love that he plays in the mid-range. I love, you know, his fadeaways, his tough shots, all the things that Eddie hates. I love him, right? I, I just People love I that about most. his game. I, I can't say enough about his game. It's the little, like, like dirty crap that it's the extra stuff like it's like cp has rubbed off on him who's the other guy that's exactly like that for me i would literally when i was in high school i could not get enough of watching cp3 tape but him as the player you know getting dudes in the groin and just go, see i do little stuff like that but not to that extent and it's almost like he goes where you know that time when wesley matthews was boxing him out and Wesley Matthews, we all know he's not a dude to be dirty. Chris Paul falls down. He's like, oh, my shoulder hurts. And then when he's on the ground, he grabs his hamstring. And then it's almost like, oh, shoot, I forgot. It's not my hamstring. It's my freaking shoulder acting like almost like he's faking injury. I'm not going to say a dude was faking you did. In- an injury, but it almost seemed that way. And then he gets up with that same shoulder. It was hurting so much. You can't do that. You can't do that. He was like, oh, I'm in agony. And then he's like, fine. You use that to, to prop yourself up. And then Jay Crowder's Jay Crowder. And then Campaign might be the most annoying backup point guard ever. Like he's like the most. He, it's not that he's irrelevant because he did really, really well in that point series. Ever. So what I mean by that is that he's like the most annoying non-star
0: no way. irrelevant no for way. lack
2: of a better term. It's kind of funny because backup
0: PG has had a lot of like annoying players over the years. Like, when you think of, like, Manu and, and, you know, dudes like
1: that. We consider Manu a He's out. just so, like... I mean,
0: not not in 2000s, he, but now we can, I guess. He gets, he gets under my skin so
2: much. Him, Jay Crowder, D-Book, and, and CP. They, they just be See, going the, the extra miles. The
0: Chris Paul narrative is really funny to me because, like, Chris Paul's a great player, obviously. Like, I, I, I respect the hell out of his game. And, obviously, him as a person, you know, you can't say enough. And you want him to get a yes. ring. Yes. But, yes. like, I feel like people are forgetting what sort of narrative he had, you know, for most of the, the 2010s. Like, people called him, like, kind of a, a, a dirty player, and they didn't like his antics. And they said he was kind of a, a clubhouse cancer because he would yell at his teammates. Like there And was, his teammates they, hated there him. Was, there was all this said about Chris Paul. And I'm not saying, like, everything is true. But I think it's just really funny that we've kind of just, like, decided to brush Gone it away. The other way. And... and kind of lifted it up as this, like, super all-deserving dude. Like, again, I, Chris Paul's a great person, and I hope he gets a championship, and I hope he plays well and everything. Yes. But we shouldn't forget that all of that was a real narrative about him. Like, he wasn't universally loved by any means. His And, and not that not that you should be, either. And when you get to be that great, a lot
2: of dudes are, are just not going to like you. But he was known as a locker room cancer for a lot of dudes. Like... So, yeah, I don't know. Them and the and the Clippers, I really hope they they lose these series. So, at least one way or another, they just don't get to the NBA Finals. Because I, I need my Clippers curse to hold up. And I kind of want Chris Paul to,
1: you know. I, I'm going to come I mean, into whatever. defense. Come to the defense of, of short point guards real quick. Because, I don't know. To me, it feels like a guy like Chris Paul, right, six feet tall, not really. He, he he can dunk a basketball now, I think, but like he's not like uber athletic. A guy like Trey Young, a guy like Isaiah Thomas, you don't get to the level that they got without having just this uber chip on your shoulder, and that manifests itself in some ugly ways sometimes. It does, but they're not the dudes that we know them to be. They don't get to play in the NBA if they don't have that level of grit and toughness and ugliness about them. Steve but Nash. L- 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 we can't just talk about Steve that. Nash.
0: Damn,
1: Steph Curry. Steph is 6'3 and athletic as hell. I'm sorry. Like, can we throw this <laughs> Steph is small narrative out? Like I get it, he's light skinned but he's not fucking small. Steph is like 6 Dame And Steph? Dame has insane grit. I
2: know he does, but he it doesn't manifest into dirty ass plays.
1: It man, I, I'm I'm saying it manifests itself differently for different players. I'm not disputing that, but Chris Paul isn't the dude that we know him to be. He isn't the great player that we know him to be today. Without that. Like, it's all one package. You can't just acknowledge one part and wish you didn't have a different part. It, he couldn't be that dude if he if he didn't have that. Rajon Rondo, same way.
2: Yeah, yeah. If they make the finals, I really hope Kyrie just makes him fall, like, a ton of times.
1: Wow. 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 <laughs> Kyrie's one that kind of is, like, an antithesis of that. Because he's a pretty small dude. But he's athletic as hell, too. Kyrie's at, he's strong and jump high. But, anyways. He's crazy athletic, he's athletic, athletic as hell.
0: Like, one of the most... Like I mean, people talk about like Derrick Rose athleticism, but Kyrie's probably one of the most athletic point guards we've because ever seen. Just in terms, it, exactly of
1: exactly quickness. quickness, and then like I always talk about body aptitude. contortion. Exactly, exactly. He does. It's not just about how fast can you run or how high can you balance turn, like, body control. That balance, Kyrie's up there with anybody that you in the league history for sure. But that's neither here nor there. We digress. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Hoop and Holler. We'll be tuned into the games tomorrow, hopefully i have my shit up and running, so I'll be able to catch him as well. Um, but as always, go follow the socials. Guess who followed me on Twitter today, y'all?
2: Someone from ESPN. Yes. Uh, not Jalen Rose.
1: Yes. Hell no. I'm going to say Pablo Torre. No, but that would be cool. Ja- that would be very cool. Voice. Not Jacob. Kind of in the same echelon of dude at ESPN, though. Not like one of the bigger dudes, but Jacoby tier. No. That would also be cool. I don't know. Uh, Bomani? Very close. But no. I would be like... If it was Bomani, that Very would be Very close. Like, almost... They don't do the exact same thing, but again, same as uh, Sean the, and they, the, Mike the former
2: the, the former NFL player. Uh, what's his name?
1: No. 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 He's definitely player. I'll give you a hint. It's not Wilbon? No, it's not Wilbon. Does he even have, he probably it's jason woodlock no i'm kidding <laughs> 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 block no it was clinton yates that was pretty cool shout out Clinton oh, Yates. Yeah. Instagram. yeah oh okay but so yeah maybe i can get the blue check after all who, who knows but uh yeah thanks for tuning in go follow the socials at hoop holler pod instagram and twitter you know the deal we will catch you guys next time
0: this has been the hoop and holler podcast